Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast. This is where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders in decentralized finance and crypto. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's episode of Polygon Alpha, we're joined by Kane Warwick, who is the founder of the Synthetics Protocol. Kane, thanks for being here with us today. How are things going? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's good. Good times at the moment. Um, I just finished a, a two-hour session on uh, Synthetics V3, so we're starting to make some good progress. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, we're going to have to dive into that a little bit here in a second. Uh, but before we get into V3, let's get like let's go before V1. And yeah, Kane, what's your background and how did you get into the DeFi and crypto space? I came from an online retail background, uh, so I uh, I was kind of interested in payments, um, you know, particularly uh, things like um, you know uh, chargebacks and fraud and that sort of thing. So um, I think you know the idea of uh, a Bitcoin as like a, a payment method was something that I found really interesting. Um, obviously, you know hasn't really worked out that way um now we have stable coins but um you know that was that was kind of uh the initial um thing that got me interested in in crypto yeah and then i guess you you transitioned to synthetic assets which is uh, quite a bit different from payments i guess in bitcoin even so i guess why synthetic assets and what i guess was the driver to I don't know, get you to found the synthetics protocol. Stable coins are kind of a synthetic asset, right? Like it's, you know, you take something and, you know, you lock it up and then you create a derivative of it. And, you know, that's a stable coin, right? Um, you know, stable coins are, are kind of, uh, you know, there's multiple different uh, variations on them. Um, but essentially, you're just trying to create um, something that maintains like price stability uh, by, you know, importing some other thing, collateral or, or whatever, right? Um, obviously, you know, the, the kind of uh, simplest version is just put some dollars in a bank and then create a tokenized representation of those dollars in the bank and allow redemptions and, you know, but it's still, um, you know, it's still uh, kind of a, a derivative asset, right? It's, you know, its value is being derived from some other thing, some other form of money that's sitting in some other place, um, you know, and being custodied. Um, what we did with synthetics, I think, is say, okay, you know, take that like very straightforward model of creating like a synthetic dollar, right? And then create like a synthetic Bitcoin, right? Um, that tracks the price of, of a single unit of, of BTC or a single unit of ETH or a single ounce of gold or whatever. Um, but the principle remains the same. You put collateral in a pot and then you apply some rules to it and then you get this derivative asset that tracks, you know, the price using oracles um, and is over collateralized. Yeah. And I, I remember a time back last year when the Uniswap front end started to, I guess, disallow uh, some of the synthetic assets that the synthetic protocol creates. Um, but one of the ones that it did allow to stay on the front end, right, for, I guess, regulatory reasons, well, we suspect, maybe not actually confirmed, uh, was this SUSD, synthetic USD from the synthetic protocol. And the more I thought about it, I, I just kind of thought, you know, what what is the big difference between SUSD and DAI or USDC? Can you go into that a little bit? 
Look, you know, on some level, I guess, uh, as a, a synthetic stakeholder, I'm happy that they didn't uh, disable SUSD as well. Um, I think it's very arbitrary uh, to say that, like, SUSD can stay and SETH can't stay, for example. Um, but, you know, they needed to draw some line. The problem is, if you say SUSD can't stay, then... Uh, you know, is Diagon as well, right? Like, you know, USDC, like, ultimately, and this is, I guess, comes back to that initial point, right? All of these stable coins are like, synthetic assets, right? They're, they're like a derivative of some other thing, right? And, you know, um, DAI is a, is a, you know, ETH derivative, right? That uh, attracts the price of, of a dollar, uh, you know, again, using this like redemption mechanism and over collateralization and all of this stuff, right? Um, so if you say, you know, you can't have any kind of stable coin on Uniswap, uh, that's not a great place to be, right? So I feel like they were trying to do something that was like, you know, threading the needle between like gesturing in the direction of uh, regulatory um, compliance, right? Without uh, putting themselves in a situation where they had to disable all assets, right? Uh, but I mean, you know, the, the broader uh, point about this, I guess, is that like the Uniswap contracts don't care, right? The Uniswap front end is not the Uniswap contracts. Um, and, you know, these are two separate uh, things. Um, there are many different permissionless interfaces and different token lists that don't, uh, you know, remove synthetic assets or any assets at all. Um, you know, so I think the fundamental thing is that, like, the Uniswap contracts are immutable contracts, permissionless contracts that are running um, you know, the, the V3 contracts that are running on Ethereum, um, anyone can access, anyone can create, you know, an AMM pool. Um, and then anyone can create their own interface to connect to those contracts, right? Uh, but the, like, uh, official Uniswap uh, front end, you know, is run by Uniswap Labs and and therefore probably is under a bit more scrutiny than, you know, the cane version of the, <laughs> the cane fork of the Uniswap front end, right? Um, I could probably do a little bit more uh, crazy stuff than, than Uniswap Labs. Well, I mean, synthetics, the protocol is crazy enough as it is, I think, for some people. Like, it's it's such a complicated protocol. Like, how? what's your elevator pitch to people who maybe just have, like, some sort of knowledge of DeFi? Like, how do you explain synthetics in a very simple way? I think there's two dimensions, right? One is like, do you want price exposure um, within Ethereum to different assets, right? If you do, um, then it, we've got a pretty compelling pitch, right? Which is that you can hold a token that represents Bitcoin and will track the price of Bitcoin uh, without relying on a custodian. That's it, right? So instead of wrapped BTC, which uses this custodial process of you know BTC locked in on on the Bitcoin blockchain and then an IOU issued as a token, whatever, like this, you know, convoluted, trusted process. Instead, you have like a, a more uh, trustless process, right? A more algorithmic process that allows you to have a, a, a Bitcoin token that tracks the price of Bitcoin um, and, and works pretty well. So for, for the person who just wants price exposure, who wants to hold a synthetic asset, um, you know, have exposure to uh, synthetic Bitcoin or synthetic gold or whatever um, on Ethereum. It's a pretty simple pitch. For the person who wants to participate in the creation of those assets and, and the maintenance of the network and staking and all that stuff, it's a more complex 
system. There's no question, right? And so we try to like make a distinction between those two things. If you just want price exposure, go and buy a token, go and open up a, a perp uh, position. If you want leverage, no problem. Uh, if you want a stake, then you know you got to kind of go down the rabbit hole. And I guess I guess if you want a stake, like you're you're much more DeFi, you're much more DeFi degen than just like just generally DeFi native, right? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that, that it, makes it's it's sense. a lot more effort. It's a lot more effort to be a staker in synthetics than to just hold SBTC and have some Bitcoin price exposure. There's there, you need to understand a lot more. You need to understand you know the risks of staking. You need to understand you know how the game is played, all of the mechanism design. Um, there isn't you know in the current iteration of synthetics in synthetics V two X there is uh, no easy mode staking. Um, in V3, there will be easier staking. You'll be able to to stake, and um, you know there'll be uh, there'll be some things that make the process a lot easier. But for now, you really have to be pretty degen to to stake uh, SNX and, and synthetics. So outside of just you know SBTC, SETH, SUSD, there's also uh, isn't there like S Gold and S Oil? And I don't know, like, what are some of the more like really unique or just kind of out there synthetic assets that have been minted? And I guess like there has to be market demand for these two, right? So it can't get it can't get too exotic, I guess. Yeah. So the the reliance on oracles means you need a liquid uh, market, right? Um, some off chain liquid market in order to uh, to facilitate price discovery and in order to ensure that you know the oracles are. are um, not manipulable and um, you know uh, are, are secure and safe. Um, so you know, obviously, gold is is fine. You know, there's a very liquid uh, market for just you know multiple different liquid markets for gold. Um, you know, same thing with silver and other commodities. They tend to have liquid off-chain markets. Uh, Bitcoin obviously has you know a lot of uh, centralized exchanges for for off-chain liquidity. Um, as you get into more exotic assets, uh, it becomes a little bit harder. Um, but again, this is one of the things that will change in V3 versus V2X is that in V3, you'll have permissionless uh, asset creation. Um, so you'll be able to create uh, a market. Now, th- there's an interesting uh, question, I-, I guess, you know, that you kind of alluded to, which is, okay, great. You know, we've had a lot of different ways to create like permissionless synthetic assets. UMA um, is, is probably the best example. Um, and historically, you know, they haven't really gotten much traction. Um, uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons, I think. Um, but ultimately, you know, one of, one of the reasons, arguably, I guess, is that if there isn't a liquid off-chain market, there probably isn't much demand for that asset, right? Um, and the intersection of assets that don't have liquid off-chain markets but do have demand for trading is probably pretty small. Um, but the flip side of that argument is that bootstrapping liquidity for a new market is very hard, right? Um, and so it's hard to create novel instruments and bootstrap liquidity. So we think that the combination of synthetics and, and this like uh, very um, deep liquid pool of collateral that we have plus permissionless asset creation might allow for that intersection to be expanded a little bit um, in V3. That's the hope. Yeah, that's good. You're actually kind of leading me into one of my next questions. So I think there there has been just like a huge difference in philosophy at time in the DeFi ecosystem about having 
upgradable contracts in a protocol, uh, you know, versus something like Uniswap where, you know, you have to provide a new iteration, you know, V2, you've got to create V3, and then you've got to merge the liquidity from V2 to V3. And so that's probably something that's going to have to happen with uh, synthetics, right? With synthetics V3 is the the merging or the bridging of that liquidity from V2 to V3. Um, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts just like on, on having a multi-sig for, I guess, unforeseen circumstances with the new smart contract versus just building it and letting it run and seeing what happens. Like just the differences in philosophy there and where do you feel like synthetics fits? Yeah. I mean, back in the day, immutable contracts were, uh, you know, kind of the expectation, right? Um, when we launched in, in 2018, the idea of using proxy contracts to allow, you know, iterative upgrades of, con- of, of your contract suite was not, really an acceptable thing. Um, and you can go back and see some of the old Reddit threads where people were, you know, kind of uh, uh, attacking us over that and, and you know, very unhappy uh, about this. Um, the problem with building immutable contracts in DeFi is that, you know, we live in, in an environment where we have imperfect information. And so it's very hard to design a set of contracts that are immutable that, you know, you then deploy and you start to gather feedback from the market and, you know, you don't need to make changes to. Uniswap is one of the few examples of really nailing this, right? And, you know, on some level, like the simplicity of Uniswap V1 um, and even V2 uh, kind of speaks to, to, you know, why this is okay, right? There's, there's many examples of immutable contracts like Augur, um, you know, and, and things like that that have really failed to gain any traction uh, because you're designing in a vacuum. You have this huge, long waterfall process that goes for like a year or two years or whatever. Um, and then you deploy it. And if the market doesn't respond well, you know, you go back into two more years of, of building to try and, you know, make a change to those contracts, right? Um, as opposed to, you know, two weeks later, you go, oh, okay, we got this thing wrong, right? Let's tweak it. Um, now, the problem with that when you when you do this is as you say you're relying on multi-sigs um and the reliance on multi-sigs in DeFi is a huge huge issue um i i think it's something that we need to move away from um because the problem with the multi-sig that's kind of this like unspoken issue that that people don't like to to raise is that multi-sigs are by necessity discretionary right there's a there's a level of discretion that the multi-sig signers have and a level of trust that you need to have in the multi-sig uh, signers because you can't rug them, right? Or it's very hard to rug them, right? We don't have we don't have good tools to rug uh, multi-sig signers. So I'll give you an example, right? Like if we, you know, let's say you, me, and I don't know, uh, I'll pick a random person. Uh, um, uh, let's say a. Uh... Let's say Chris Black. Okay, let's throw him. Great. In there. You, me, and Chris Black decide that we're gonna we're gonna start something, right? Um, and we start a project, and we have a multi sig, and it's a two of three, right? Um, and you know we've got a community, and there's maybe you know hundreds or thousands of people in the community, right? And there's three people that have arbitrary control over this project because even if the token holders, the community members, right, want to express some voting preference, they they ultimately need to trust us to actually execute it. 
Now, there are ways to get around this. There you know, things like compound governance module or whatever, um, which allow for, you know, like on-chain execution of, of changes um, and things like that. But even still, oftentimes, there's a backup multi-sig that sits there that, you know, monitors parameters or, you know, other things and, and you know, can make changes to, uh, like, the meta-governance process. Um, and the issue with that is that if all of the token holders say, actually, we don't like Kane and Chris, we want to get rid of them, we want to replace them, right? The multi-sig is the owner of the contracts, right? And the signers are the owners of the multi-sig. And so they say, sorry, Chris and Kane, like, get out of here. And we say, no, like, we don't want to go, right? We think that we're actually doing a really good job and we don't want to uh, relinquish control over this, right? Now, this doesn't happen out in the open that often, right? Um, but it is a fundamental issue that we have with multi-six right and now there, there are ways of getting around it where you know ideally you have like five of seven or like six of nine or you know some m of n scheme where you have you know a lot of signers but like if there is a, a genuine disagreement between the community of token holders and the multi-six signers there is no mechanism by which you can remove these signers right and this is something that we have been concerned about in synthetics for a long time right so we have the spartan council which is an elected body but the spartan council votes for things and then has to rely on the the protocol dao uh to go and execute it which is just fundamentally wrong right like it, it just adds this element of discretion and so what we're actually doing in in synthetics uh v3gm which is our new governance module is the token holders in electing the Spartan Council, distribute NFTs that represent seats on this council. And the NFTs are effectively a multi-sig, right? And the difference between NFTs acting as, as a multi-sig, right? This, this group of eight signers, right? That have an NFT that represents their voting power, right? Um, to execute a, a change on chain is that if we decide that all of them collectively are bad, or they're doing a bad job, or they're not being responsive enough, the token holders can remove those NFTs. Because the the contract has the power to revoke and re-elect. So you can dissolve the council, you can remove a member, you can have all of these meta-governance proposals that are controlled by token holders that allow for you to essentially revoke control, right? Whereas a multi-sig the way that Gnosis Safe is designed, and that's where you know 99% of multi-sigs are using Gnosis Safe, right? Is that the signers themselves need to relinquish control, right? Which is insane. Like if the signers are doing a bad job, they're not going to relinquish control. And so you have this, you know, uh, stalemate that you get to, right? So this is this is the thing that I think is going to make a a, a big difference as part of V3GM, where you can have these sub-DAOs that are ultimately kind of responsible to token holders directly, as opposed to having this discretionary power that's being handed to, in some cases, you know, random unelected community members, uh, and, and you just hope that they're good actors. So that's almost like a, a way for token holder revolt against multi-sig signers? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like there's there's things, uh, you know, um, Moloch Dow, uh, has concepts around this, like, you know, rage quitting and, um, and, you know, the ability to like eject people, et cetera. And so, you know, Moloch Dow is kind of like a multi-sig, right? Like it's, it's a, um, more powerful version of a multi-sig, 
um, you know, in that uh, the participants who are voting for proposals and changes uh, have the ability to remove each other and you can re- like reach consensus, etc. Um, but Gnosis Safe does not have that capability. Literally, you cannot, if, if you don't have uh, enough signers, you can't remove someone. So if there's a disagreement, you know, in a in a like three or five multi-sig, right? If one person disappears and the other four people are two against two, you have a stalemate. There's no way to, re- you can't remove them, right? Um, and so then you have to fork the protocol and, you know, it turns into chaos, right? And so this stuff tends to not happen. But, uh, but ultimately, um, you know, it's a huge issue. Um, that we need to remove. And we just don't have the tooling, right? Like Aragon was supposed to be tooling that did this stuff for you and allowed token holders to directly vote. And, you know, and like the compound governance module kind of gestures in this direction of not having like multi-sigs and control of protocol changes. Um, but what it doesn't have is it, it has the, the concept of delegation, right? So you can delegate to uh, to a single um, party, but you can't delegate to like a representative democracy, um, in the sense of like a, a, a council, like a, a synthetics council um, type setup, uh, where you have you know eight elected members who have discretion over changes um, uh, that are that are you know implemented in the protocol. Um, so anyway, so this is all to say like you know we're slowly sorting out governance tooling, but at the moment governance tooling is is just not adequate in my opinion for where we're at in DeFi. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you there that, you know, I think even Vitalik... Chris yeah, Black <laughs> certainly would. <laughs> well, yeah, he would. Uh, That's why I picked him for our multi-sig, because he is uh, so critical lately of multi-sigs. Um, yeah. But, yeah. He, you know, he he does he means well, I guess, most of the time. He means well, I he guess, does. yeah. He yeah. does. Um, so it, I think that, that kind of gets me thinking. Like, if you... I feel like pre-DeFi summer... Kind of what you said, like the idea of having a multi-sig to make changes to your contract was a pretty taboo in the DeFi space or just in the crypto space in general. And then I think DeFi summer happened and then there were a lot of trends in DeFi summer, like liquidity mining. And, you know, when you're looking at other L1s or other chains, maybe sacrificing security uh, for scalability or, or cheap, fast transactions, I guess. And uh, multi-sigs became just pretty commonplace in the DeFi ecosystem uh, over DeFi summer and then after DeFi summer as well. Uh, I kind of want to, like, looking forward for DeFi, like, how do you feel like the philosophy has changed now that we're kind of back in a bear market and things are just kind of getting back to the basics? Like, do you see any other trends that might go the wayside as we continue to build in the bear market? Yeah, so I think, you know, the last bull market um, was basically just ICO chaos, right? Um, you know, there wasn't really much stuff actually being deployed, right? There was nothing usable. Like, the only, like, uh, you know, kind of iterations and improvements were on, like, uh, you know, ICO uh, structures, right? Like, the mechanism design of ICOs, right? So, like, the implementation of, like, Dutch auctions and, like, weird you know, polka dots, like weird, like multi-day discounting, you know, reverse Dutch auction system, like these convoluted schemes, but they were all like optimizing in a very narrow domain of like, how do you 
get as much ETH into a contract in exchange for future tokens as possible, right? Like that was like literally what everyone was trying to optimize for. That was the only on-chain stuff that was really happening realistically, right? The the vast majority of 2017, there just weren't many contracts on on mainnet, right? That were doing things. Um, and so I think DeFi summer kind of blew that up, right? Because by the time you got into this DeFi bull market um, in 2020, uh, in order to you know get attention, it wasn't sufficient to just do like an ICO, right? It wasn't just about like optimizing for a, a capital raising contract. You had a whole range of different uh, smart contract suites and and different use cases and things like that. Um, and when you were trying to iterate quickly, you know, and if you go back to 2017, the iteration was all like in this very narrow domain of how do you raise capital? What's the what's the acceptable way to like, you know, do an ICO, right? Um, and there was like very rapid innovation and iteration on those contracts and people would like reuse contracts and fork them and like all of this stuff, right? Um, but you they were kind of one-time use contracts, if that makes sense, right? Like you got one shot, right? They were one-shot contracts. You deploy the contracts, you put up a website, you do the sale, and then you're done. Right. And then maybe you disappear and, and no one ever hears from you again. Right. Whereas with DeFi Summer, you were deploying contracts that were like going to be used. Right. Um, and so when you're optimizing for like iteration in that kind of environment, it's really interesting because you can't get away with just like deploying a contract and then, you know, doing a sale and then, you know, never having to touch those contracts again. Right. Um, you need to be able to update the contracts. Uh, you need to be able to make changes. And so I think people, in optimizing for speed, just threw away every other thing, every other consideration, right? Like in a in a bull market, when you're trying to like get to market as quickly as possible, it's all about just you know deploying the contracts and being able to iterate and update them and, and everything. And so we 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 really the pendulum swung way too far to the direction of just you know doing whatever the fuck you wanted basically um, to try and try and maximize your your uh, speed to mainnet. Right, um, which is, you know, we're and we're still dealing with the hangover from that, right? Like once once that became acceptable, um, you know, it just it it kind of continued from there, um, and so you know, there's a whole bunch of things that then you know rugs and everything that kind of led from that because people just got used to the idea of using a contract that, you know, had like an EOA as the owner of the contract, which is insane, right? Yeah. And I like what you said there, you know, just your people were basically taking shortcuts to expedite, you know, their mainnet deployment, essentially, which is what, kind of what you had to do in a bull market, right? If you wanted to take advantage of like the, that VC money or the retail money, you, you had to deploy quickly and you were going to deploy a smart contract probably that you thought might possibly have some bugs that needs to be fixed and the, the quickest way to do that is just to put it on multi-sig right yeah exactly exactly and so yeah you you, you know you just optimize for uh speed right in a bull market in a, i think in a bear market the nice thing is everyone can stop take a breath um you know i was at um permissionless and talking to some old DeFi friends of mine um you know people like brock Elmore and, and you know some of the people that launched some of the, the crazy food farms and things like that, and it was so interesting to me because we were all independently talking about some stuff that has kind of interested us over the last like three to six months, and literally not one of us. There were like five of us in a group just chatting, and 
every single thing that each person brought up, none of the other people had heard of. So it was like this weird thing where like, there's just so much stuff going on and like, just everything is so chaotic that like, you know, they're like, Oh, have you heard about like this thing where you can like, um, you know, there's some like, uh, DCA style, like, you know, dollar cost averaging thing where you can like, you know, treasury management or something like that. I'm like, never heard of it. And then someone else is like, Oh, what about this thing? And so like, I think in a bear market, everyone can kind of stop, you slow down a little bit and you can be like, all right, let's catch up with what's going on. Let's work out where the problems are. And like on some level, you know, we had DeFi summer in 2020, right? That's two years ago, right? But we, we rolled in from, DeFi summer, you know, kind of uh, like this kind of counter cyclical DeFi bull market, even while macro crypto was in a bear market still, right? We had this little, you know, blip of ETH DeFi bull market. Then we rolled straight into a, a macro bull market, like a macro, you know, crypto bull market, right? And so you had like tons of DeFi noise, followed by tons of macro crypto noise. And now we're just kind of coming out the back side of that. And I think everyone's like, whoa, okay, where are the problems? And one of the fundamental problems, I think, is like governance. There's been very little uh, reason for people to optimize for better governance. Because if no one's paying attention to what's happening and everyone's just running around screaming, um, you know, like there's, the house is on fire. Uh, governance is something that kind of falls by the wayside. Right? Like, And so so I think now, though, as people slow down, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm going to put my money into this contract, what's actually underpinning it, right? Like what's going on here, right? And and they slow down and they start to really assess things and they go, that's insane. There's an EOA that's the owner of this contract. And you're seeing all this stuff come out now where people are like, did anyone realize that like this contract that has a hundred million dollars in it is literally owned by like, you know, uh, a, a MetaMask, <laughs> like private key, like what's going on. Right. right. And so like, you know, people are, this stuff's being discovered and, and people are realizing that this is, this is chaotic and we need to fix it. And so I think that we will have this, uh, kind of reckoning as the market goes, whoa, 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 this is not okay. You know, and, and there'll be a level of kind of diligence that will be applied and maybe a little bit more skepticism um, and and higher levels of uh, kind of security that are expected um, until we get into another bull market. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. I think most most people that are still around right now uh, would also agree with you. And I, I think another, you know, obviously another thing that's being built right now uh, during the bear market is Ethereum scaling in general. But also, I, I feel like synthetics has been scaling itself. In, in a unique way as well. Because if you take a look at just like synthetic smart contract composability, right? You've got Quinta, which is a leverage trading protocol. You've got Lira, which is options. And you've got Thales, which is bi binary options. But I think I, when I was doing some research, I, I think they changed that binary options to paramutual options. I'm not sure if that's the same thing or just a rebranding. Um, so, and, and I think all of these received grants from the synthetics uh, uh, I guess, foundation or synthetics grant DAO, however that's uh, structured in your ecosystem. And this almost feels like um, a modular way of scaling synthetics as opposed to like a monolithic way. Um, was this always the vision? And w would you agree with that assessment? I think it was a very organic process. Um, and, you know, Quenta is maybe the best example of this. Uh, Thales is a good example as well, right? So I think what, what we found is that we built a binary options uh, mechanism within synthetics, right? Um, we deployed it, 
And, you know, like most things that you deploy, it was really dumb. And, you know, there were a whole bunch of issues with it and it needed to be fixed. But by the time we had realized what the issues were and what needed to be improved, we'd moved on to something else, right? We're working on futures and we're working on, you know, V2X and, and a bunch of other things. And people were like, whoa, 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 like, you've got these contracts here that are not great and we really want to use them. But, you know, there's this problem and this problem, and this problem. And we're like, oh, sorry, we can't help you with doing this other stuff over here, right? And resourcing was really uh, problematic. And so we kind of said, well, okay, like, how do we deal with this, right? Like you could, you know, in a normal corporation, you would say, okay, do we want to keep this product line alive? Do we want to spin it out into a separate company? Or, you know, you'd kind of have to make some decision about it, right? In a protocol, it's a little bit harder. Um, there's, it's not as obvious what the what the approach is. Um, but we got to a point where we said, okay, um, why don't we do something similar to spinning it out, right? Where we um, put up an, an offer and say, if a team wants to form around these binary options contracts, right, and take them on and own the maintenance and improvement, and, you know, we have a whole litany of things that need to be fixed about it, you know, the community have provided. So you've got a roadmap already, right, that you can go and, and work on. Um, and the DAO will provide funding. So the DAO will, will give you an investment, you go launch the project, you own it, take it outside of the synthetics governance process, right? So it can be a bit more early stage, um, doesn't have the same level of overheads in terms of like, you know, governance uh, processes and, and what have you. And that's what happened. And so these two founders turned up and said, hey, we want to take this on. Um, and, you know, they have now extended those initial options contracts, right? You know, by like you know, a factor of 20 or 30 or something like that, right? Like, you know, they've built better interfaces and they've got a game and they've got educational material and it's its own independent project within the synthetics ecosystem now, right? Because it uses SUSD and, you know, it's still connected. They still use similar governance processes. They have a council. So it's like this ecosystem of sub projects almost or independent projects uh, that maybe were ideas that, you know, the genesis of the idea came out of synthetics, but has kind of emerged. Lyra is, is similar where like, you know, uh, an engineer from synthetics said, hey, you know, we think that uh, like vanilla style options are, um, are a really good idea. And we have an idea of how to do this in a way that kind of leverages synthetics, but is an improvement on it, etc. And, you know, same thing, right? Like help funding, you know, uh, they spun out of, uh, you know, um, out of our engineering team and, you know, then went and hired some people. And so, like, basically, you know, you've got this kind of weird, like, pseudo incubator accelerator thing that, you know, keeps like just growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and obviously, all of that's happening on optimism as well, right? So, you know, you've created uh, this situation where, like, I don't know, like half of the major projects uh, on Optimism are within the synthetics ecosystem, which is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, that is a really interesting dynamic. And uh, I, I want to talk about layer two scaling. Now, well, yeah, I'll just go ahead and ask right now. So I, when you look at synthetics from a layer two scaling perspective, I think that, you know, from like the true DeFi blue chip protocols, y'all are probably second only to compound in how selective you have been about which layer two solutions you utilize for this scaling. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, when you look at Aave or Sushi or Uniswap, you know, they're, off, they're on multiple uh, layer twos. So why do you think the synthetics community has been so selective about these scaling solutions? And 
if they are being so selective about these uh, scaling solutions, I, I think a lot of people do like see zero knowledge rollups as like the holy grail of Ethereum scaling. Um, why not wait for a, a zero knowledge solution as opposed to deploying on an optimistic solution? Just want to get your thoughts on that. So, look, I think you know path dependency uh, in startups is is just a thing, right? This idea that like you know some decision that you made ages ago kind of led you down this you know uh, path that now you know in hindsight you look back and you go, oh, okay, like you know we didn't realize how uh, impactful that decision would be, right? And so you know as as you kind of go down these different paths, you end up in a in a place that maybe is very different to the place that you were expecting to be, um, without kind of realizing the you know the implications of independent decisions that were made along that path, right? Um, and you know some of them are you know totally distinct spaces that you end up in that you know can can't be bridged back to you know some other place, right? And I think one of the things that uh, that happened in synthetics is we were so gas inefficient and so complex, you know, like back in 2018, we had like 100 contracts or something like that on mainnet was insane. The cost of claiming and everything, even when, you know, uh, gas prices were low, was still super high. We were like 10x every other project, right? People will be doing a transaction, they're like, cost me $20 to claim and it's $2 to do a Uniswap transaction. Like, what are you guys doing, you know? And we're like, yeah, look, you know, it's a complex set of contracts, don't know what to tell you, right? But then, as gas prices went up and it went from $20, $50 to $100, we were like, whoa, 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 this is not going to work, right? Like, we can't be, you know, uh, like, it's just not viable, right, to be charging, uh, you know, for people to be paying $100 for for a claim, right? So that put us in this situation where we had to make a decision early, right? And we, and you know, the community kind of looked around and the engineers looked around and we said, okay, we want to do something similar to what we did with Chainlink where, we found a, a team that we were confident in that we could, you know, kind of work closely with, collaborate with to like develop something that was going to be really ideal for our use case. Um, and that's what happened with Chainlink, right? You know, we spent a year with Chainlink, like really getting to a point where we, you know, kind of like there were a lot of changes that Chainlink made specifically for synthetics that, you know, ultimately they would have had to make for any DeFi protocol. But we were kind of the the uh the catalyst right for for driving those changes because Chainlink we're building an oracle infrastructure and then all of a sudden someone turned up and said well wait a second like you guys are optimizing in this dimension but we actually need you to optimize a little bit more in this dimension and the same thing happened with optimism right we said hey you guys are building a scaling solution and you've got this like very you know ivory tower theoretical approach to scaling and stuff and like we're here on the ground like digging ditches right like <laughs> right, we need right, you guys right. to like optimize for like you know this thing and this thing and this thing and they're like oh okay like that's interesting right it's a different perspective when you're out there you know in the field digging away right and they're like you know contemplating the cosmos or whatever and we're like hey guys like you know we really need better shovels right like or you know we need like you know uh, a better kind of plow or something like that right and so we kind of we were a forcing function for them to like really think about like the practicalities of what scaling looked like in the same way that we were this forcing function for chainlink right so we made a decision early collaborate really closely with a team that we trusted um and that put us on this path of we're now all in on optimism and we need to like go and take this to you know it's it's logical conclusion in hindsight 
if I could go back and do it again, knowing what I know now, right, I would probably push harder to get the community to deploy to something like Polygon. I think we're a little too like ETH maxi um, about uh, about this, which sounds weird now, right? Because you're like, wait, like Polygon is like very obviously within the Ethereum ecosystem. But there were debates back then about side chains and, you know, all of that, like very nuanced stuff that like, you know, after the Alt L1 thing blew up, right, like looks really dumb. Right. And like Polygon obviously looks like a much, much better approach. And had we hedged our bets a little bit and deployed to Polygon, we might be in a different place. Right. Um, you know, we might, we might have, uh, we might have gotten a little bit more traction or what, who knows. Right. You never know. Um, it's hard to, to run the counterfactuals on that. But my sense is that that was a mistake for us to not go to Polygon. Um, but it did force us to get actually together and, and, you know, get like, uh, scaling sorted out, right? And we eventually got there, and now we've got this optimism, um, you know, uh, optimistic roll-up solution. To then, I guess, answer the second part of your question of like, why not zk uh, roll-ups or some zero knowledge solution? The answer is in the same way that optimistic roll-ups took way, way longer than everyone expected, and we probably should have just deployed on a side chain. Um, you know, and and just sucked it up and and not been maxis and and just you know accepted the trade offs a little bit um, and the lower security. Um, we also, I think, made you know we made the wrong call by not doing that with side chains, right? We made the right call, I think, in not waiting for zero knowledge uh, roll ups or zero knowledge scaling solutions because I think they're much further away than people kind of uh, hope that they might be. Right. That's my that's my intuition. I think it's going to be much, much harder. You know, this ZK Sync has been ready to go for, you know, like 18 months now. Right. Um, you know, it was it was going to launch around the same time as, you know, all the optimistic roll ups. And I think we're still very far away from a production level Z, ZK Sync environment that can handle like all of DeFi. Um, so I just think it's going to take a lot longer than people expect. And so in the interim, we now actually have like pretty robust optimistic rollup solutions. They're not perfect. They're definitely trade-offs. Um, you know, they're still controlled by multi-sigs. They still have, you know, uh, lower security than, than ETH L1. But they're trending in the direction very quickly towards something that, you know, I think will be very robust. And realistically, post-merge, you know, the, the optimistic rollup uh, scaling pathway for Ethereum um, is, I think, the optimal you know given everything that we know now right it still feels like that's the optimal path for ethereum um to compete with the alt l1s and i think it will be the thing that that works for us like in the longer term like the terminal solution i think is like some zero knowledge solution something right um but in the interim i think we need optimistic rollups. yeah so it's kind of like you were touching on earlier it's like you, you just needed to deploy not to mainnet quickly, but that's that was the mindset of like the I guess the DeFi summer in the bull market. But it's just it, yeah. w- with your case, it was our smart contracts are so damn complicated that we've got to get on some sort of scaling solution ASAP to make it usable. Agreed. What what is it about the synthetic smart contracts that makes it so gas intensive? There's a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, it is just a complex system. Um, you know, there are a lot of different components to it. Um, V3 will definitely simplify it. Um, but even still with V3, you know, there are probably like 
seven major subcomponents to synthetics um, because it it's a system that requires um, you know lots of uh, lots of different checks and balances I guess right so you know you've got like a governance component and then you've got the collateral component and then you've got all these mechanisms to ensure that the collateral maintains its value and then you've got the debt component and then you've got the rewards component so there's all these different subcomponents that are fairly complicated smart contracts in their own right and then they all connect together to create this system that holistically you know uh, is is functional so it's just kind of unavoidable um, on some level, uh, the complexity, especially when you introduce other forms of collateral and futures and things like that. So, yeah. And I mean, what kind of logistics have to go on within the synthetics ecosystem to deploy on a layer two? Like, is it just, uh, you know, with optimism in, in its EVM, uh, what's, what's it called? Equi compliant? I forget what it's called. Equivalence. equivalence. That's what it is. Yeah, EVM is it, yeah, is it yeah. just as simple as deploying on an EVM? Uh, chain or like what kind of requirements do you need when you are deploying on a on a scaling solution like are you looking for like guaranteed tbl to ensure that the product is working smoothly i, I guess like what are the the base requirements that y'all look for i mean from an engineering perspective it's a different deployment um and so you know it is a separate code base on some level um, there is a distinction between what's deployed on L1 and what's deployed on Optimism. Um, we also need governance to be respectful of this distinction as well. Um, so, you know, when governance proposals are passed now, it's like there is, you know, a, a field in the governance header which says, like, is this for Optimism or is this for L1, right? Um, and so, you know, there is a level of complexity as you add new networks um, where, you know, you need to understand what are you governing and who's governing and how does it work. So, you know, all of these things as you deploy to multiple networks increase complexity. And so I think that, you know, uh, protocols like Aave and stuff that have, even though, you know, the other thing with synthetics is you can't just deploy a fork, an independent fork on each network of the protocol. So Aave being a lending protocol can have a distinct separate instance, right? Um, on each network. Now, there's some overlap because you got the Aave token, there's governance, etc. Um, so I think, you know, most DeFi protocols now with governance can't really get away with this, right? Like, you need, you, need, you know, there's some cross-network uh, communication required. But with synthetics, the, the debt pool is unified, right? So you've got, like, a, a, a network that has a single debt pool and these single fungible assets that are moving across chain, um, the level of complexity required as you scale up the number of networks um, to, to keep that running and keep that in sync is significantly higher than just deploying, you know, uh, a separate set of Aave, uh, you know, uh, lending and, and borrowing pools. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's, yeah, okay. And we've been kind of dancing around this subject, uh, like this entire interview, but let's talk about version three and you know you've sprinkled some tidbits here and there like uh, permissionless asset creation and changes in governance but what are some of the major changes for synthet for synthetics v3 um, that you're most excited about i think what it's allowed us to do you know synthetics was deployed in december of 2018 um which is a long time ago now. that is a long time um, ago you know and so there there are contracts on mainnet that 
Uh, not many. There's only, I think, of the original, you know, 100 contracts or whatever that are deployed, I think almost all of them have been deprecated um, and, and replaced by uh, by new contracts. But there are still a couple of contracts that uh, that are floating around um, that, you know, are still connected to the um, the system. And so, you know, what you end up with is a situation where I think we've made uh, something like 150 or 200 changes to those contracts um over the last four years um and that just introduces a, a lot of complexity you've got things that are just duct taped together uh that you know really just needs like a, a fresh uh kind of clean slate rewrite um and there's a lot of things that we learned right you know we deployed um multiple different attempts at front-running protection right um and each time you deploy front-running protection you then, you know, make some trade-offs and then you go, oh, okay, that didn't work or there's a gap here or whatever. Then you deploy another version of it and you just have layers upon layers upon layers of uh, of complexity that that introduces um, because, you know, there's some component that was expecting this type of front-running protection and now you've replaced it with this other type and it's not aware of how that works. So the the level of complexity from an engineering perspective is, is significantly higher. So V3 just starts from a clean slate and says, what are the components that we need? We need to be able to stake collateral. We need to be able to pay rewards. We need to be able to uh, do exchanges. We need to be able to do liquidation. So it takes all of the things we know and it says, what is the optimal way of doing each of these components, right? Um, what's the optimal liquidation mechanism? What's the optimal reward mechanism? So Synthetic still operates on this like weekly epoch-based thing, which is just insane, right? It was something that was deployed in 2018, seemed like a good idea. I mean, it, it goes back even to earlier versions, right? Like no one operates on like a weekly snapshot epoch. It's like everyone worked out a long time ago, the like continuous accrual of rewards is like the optimal strategy, but we're still stuck in this weekly system, right? And so the new version of synthetics says no more weekly stuff. There's no more snapshots. It's a continuous accrual of rewards. It makes it much, much simpler. Synthetics also does weird stuff with like not tokenizing positions, right? So when you stake SNX, as you know, your SNX stays in the wallet, right? And people are like, but I staked my SNX and it's still in my wallet. What's happening, right? There's not a single protocol that I can think of that still exists that does that uses that pattern, right? Of like locking your token in your wallet when you stake it, right? Or when, when you do something with it, like it's insane. Like there's no one else. Synthetics is the only thing. It's like such an anachronistic approach to, to staking, right? So now what the new contracts do is they say, oh, you're going to stake your tokens. You send them to the staking contract and then they live in that staking contract. And if you want to unstake them, you pull them out, right? It's just obvious patterns that everyone <laughs> has worked out. Consensus has been reached and we're still living in like, you know, prehistoric time. So that's basically uh, the majority of it um, is just optimization and, you know, cleaning up of, of you know, mechanisms that the mechanism itself might be good, but the implementation of it is bad. And so fixing up the implementation and, and, you know, making it more efficient. Yeah, this makes sense. So really just no major sweeping changes, just really optimizing for efficiencies that you wish you would have put in place previously, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's some usability things that come out of that, that I think will be significant, you know, 10x, improvements and usability but in terms of like 
functionality. It's the same functionality. It does the same thing. It just does it in a much more obvious, clean, efficient way, right? Um, there's There are some new things that I think will um, this will enable us to do. Um, so, you know, alternate forms of collateral uh, have a much bigger uh, part to play um, in, in Synthetics V3. So, you know, ETH collateral, LUSD, um, you know, things like Rye or whatever, like, um, you know, they, they're they going to have a, a bigger role, um, as I kind of alluded to as well, like permissionless asset creation is a thing that can exist in V3 that can't exist in, in V2X. Um, so there are some incremental, uh, you know, functionality additions that we're, we're going to... Um, you know, be able to, to implement. But fundamentally, it's about just making this entire system much more efficient. That's exciting. And another question that I wanted to ask that you, we kind of touched on a little bit, but I just want to like drill in and ask this question specifically, right? Because we are in a bear market. And I think build the dip has been the theme at Polygon that we've been pushing. Like it's been pushing all over Twitter, but we're, we're focusing on it at Polygon quite a bit. And I just want to know, you know, what does build the dip mean to you so you know the as i said as i sort of said right like in a bear market you can actually stop and you can take stock of all of the things that happened in the bull market right um you know so like there are so many things that i'm just like maybe casually aware of or like totally unaware of that are really interesting mechanisms or interesting, you know, uh, uh, like, um, you know, systems that people have built or protocols or whatever. And, you know, if DeFi is about composability, if you don't even know what you can be composing, you know, as part of your protocol, then you're not in a good place, right? And so I think that as things slow down, um, everyone's going to have a chance to, to kind of look around and go, oh, wait, that's a really cool way of doing that thing. Right. Or that's a, you know, that's an interesting approach to this specific problem. Right. Um, and we've seen a little bit of that balancer, you know, implementing VBAL, you know, right. similar to the curve and, and, you know, um, so we're seeing, but I think that this will happen over the next six to 12 months, like, you know, on a much, much larger scale. There's so many smaller projects that are doing cool things um, that, you know, people are not aware of that people, you know, will eventually have time to catch up on and be like, oh, no, this is actually a really cool approach to this problem. Um, and so I think as you kind of become aware of those things, you can incorporate them into your like worldview, right? You can be like, oh, this is an interesting design uh, approach, right, to this particular problem. Um, and so everything gets better because people, you know, can kind of look and be like, oh, this is the right, you know, governance, right? We're going to have multiple different governance frameworks that I think will come out of this bull market um, that the next layer of DeFi, right? This this next iteration of DeFi will be built on much more solid governance foundations than our, you know, multi-sigs all the way down approach that we had for the last two years, right? We need to get rid of that. We need to replace it. We need to build a new clean foundation that is accountable to token holders that, um, you know, is much more censorship resistant and, and robust. And so things like that, I think, will come out of this bear market, you know, and uh, and it'll give us time to catch up and and just incorporate all the new knowledge that's been developed over the last two years. Yeah. And you've been in a couple bear markets. And so, uh... I want to know what kind of advice would you give to DeFi founders or just protocol founders in general? Uh, like what lessons have you learned over this this long period that you've been in crypto? 
What wise, wise words do you have uh, for the future builders? I think you need to take stock of your particular situation. It is really critical, right? Um, there's no one size fits all uh, approach, right? So, you know, you need to work out kind of, I think there's certain categories of things, right? Like, you know, like look at your runway, right? If you have six months of runway right now, um, for whatever reason, then you need to be making some decisions to try and work out how you extend that, right? Um, you know, lower your burn or whatever. Um, if you are maybe past that point where like your protocol has been around for a little bit longer, um, you know, the treasury is in better shape, you've, you know, accumulated some stables and hopefully you weren't sitting all in ETH or whatever. Um, you probably need to look at, you know, the, the shifting, uh, situation in terms of hiring, right? Like there's going to be much, much more opportunity for you to, uh, you know, onboard some amazing talent, which is what synthetics has been doing. You know, we've been, uh, we've been pulling new people in that are either web two converts or existing web three people that were looking for something else to do or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, we've added, uh, a lot of contributors of last like six to 12 months. Um, and you know, you just need to work out like what your particular, uh, situation is and then optimize around that, right? Um, you know, so if you're a DeFi blue chip, I think you probably know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, take advantage of more attention, take advantage of, uh, of, you know, being able to slow things down a little bit, fix up some of the processes, make, you know, the protocol more efficient. Um, if you're, you know, that next tier down, but you still are really well funded. Now's the time to try and you know uh, acquire some amazing talent and and you know take advantage of the lower noise floor to to build up a bit more awareness. Um, and if you're in that you know really early stage situation where you know, maybe you just raise a seed round and you're expecting to raise you know another round in six months or whatever, survival is is really the key, right? Making sure that you're as efficient as possible um, and that you know you're you're going to do something that's going to allow you to survive. Oh, that was a lot of good advice came. Thanks for that. Is there anything else that I didn't ask that you want me to, that you want to touch on or address? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that I, I say to people in a bear market that, uh, that is probably, you know, I think everyone right now, it's front of mind, right? Like what, what do I do? Right? Like what, what do I do in this situation? I think if you're still here and you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> um, you're probably, uh, you're probably GMI. Um, but realistically, you know, it comes down to conviction. Right, you really need to to survive a bear market, and you know things could get worse before they get better. Um, you need to have uh, conviction, so you need to ensure, like whatever the thing is that you're focusing on, that you have built a level of conviction around it. You know, if you think scaling is important, if you think NFTs are important, you need to have conviction that like this is actually going to be transformative. And you know, in five, ten years' time, you're going to look back and be like, wow, like this was so early. This is such a huge opportunity. If you can really believe that and, and kind of, you know, pack that into like the core of your approach to, uh, to the space, um, you'll be fine. You'll find a way through, you'll navigate through because, you know, that, that belief will kind of, uh, you know, keep you focused on, on the long term. Um, so I think that's the thing right now. Um, and one of the nice things is, you know, you can go back and go and like read some stuff, read some white papers, read, you know, go back and catch up on, you know, the state of the world, right? Um, and, and that will help to build conviction because the more you read about what's happened in crypto over the last two years, the more exciting it becomes, right? Like we don't even have a sense of like everything that's happened in the last two years. There's no holistic 
view of it yet. Maybe Anthony Sassano is, is one of the few people that's got a holistic view of, of Ethereum DeFi. But I think outside of that, there's not many people that have like the totality of what's happened in DeFi over the last two years, right? So the more you read, the more conviction you'll build, the more confident you'll be to go out and just keep grinding and, and you know, get through the bear market and survive. Yeah, I could see Anthony Sassano having that holistic view. I mean, when you're creating content... He's the, he's the every... DeFi renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> I mean, when you're making content every single day, I mean, you've, you're, you're going to be up to speed on things for sure. Uh, well, that's that's pretty much all we have, Kane. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, thanks for coming on the Polygon Alpha podcast. And I guess we'll just end it off with where can people go to find out more about you and Synthetics? Yeah, so Synthetics Discord is the best place for Synthetics um, and one of the most fun places to hang out during a bear market as well, I would say. Um, one of the, the kind of main places that people were hanging out throughout 2018, 2019. Um, and then uh, for me, uh, Twitter, um, at Kane, uh, is, is the best uh, place to find me. So, All right. Well, thanks again, Kane, for coming on. Enjoy your lunch. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Yeah. Appreciate it. Talk soon. See ya. Bye. Bye.